Uh, for our second reading, we're going to do this spiritual practice of Lectio Liberatio. And um, we will have uh, silence for the first three moves, the first three questions, uh, and then have some discussion. And then we'll have some silence for the the fourth question and then some discussion. And after, I'll read it first and um, ask you all if you would be so kind to volunteer uh, to read uh, the second and third and fourth readings. This is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 through 4 and 10 through 12. And the first question is belong. What is the conflict and or change in the text? Who or what in the text connects to the story of your family or community of origin. Paul and Silas had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went on went and on three Sabbaths presented to them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead. This is the Messiah, Jesus, who I proclaim to you all. Now, some of those Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the prominent women. Then the sisters and brothers immediately that night sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue these persons were more high-born and open-minded than in Thessalonica. They received the word with great eagerness. Daily they examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. Thus, many of them therefore believed, including highly respected Greek women, and not just a few Jewish men. What is the conflict and or change in the text, and who or what in the text connects to the story of your family or community of origin. Let's take a minute and just sit with the text in that question. Second question is, be bold. What policies and cultural norms is the text resisting or calling us to resist? Can I 
have a volunteer reader. Thank you. You want the book? Oh. Mm. You want the, the mic? Oh. Oh, thanks. Testing, testing, yes. Next. <laughs> Paul and Silas had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went and on three Sabbaths presented to them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead. This is the Messiah, Jesus, who I proclaim to you all. Now some of those Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the prominent women. Then the sisters and brothers immediately that night sent Paul and Silas away to um, Beroea. When they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These persons were more high-born and open-minded than in Thessalonica. They received the word with great eagerness. Daily they examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. Thus many of them therefore believed, including highly respected Greek women, and not just a few Jewish men. What policies and cultural norms is the text resisting or calling us to resist? Let's take a moment to reflect. The next move is become. What vision of healing and liberation does the text call forth? Who would like to read this time? Paul and Silas had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica uh, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went and on three Sabbaths presented to them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that it was, it was necessary for the Messiah, Messiah to come, to suffer, and to rise from the dead. 
This is the Messiah, Jesus, who I proclaim to you all. Now some of those Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the prominent women. Then the brothers and sisters immediately that night sent Paul and Silas away to Beroa, whatever it was. Uh, When they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These persons were more high-born and open-minded than in Thessalonica. They received the word with great eagerness. Daily they examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. Thus many of them therefore believed, including highly respected Greek women, and not just a few Jewish men. What vision of healing and liberation does the text call forth? Okay. Who would like to share any of your thoughts or reflections about these first three questions? I find it interesting that the the translation you read um, talks about the the Jews in that other place, not Thessalonica, as being, yeah, as being more high-born. Because uh, that's not, the in my translation, that's not what it says. Like, um, it says they were more receptive than those in Thessalonica. Hmm. Um, so it's interesting to me that, that like, I, like I, it, that translation of them being high, more high-born makes me go, makes me feel a little bit like, yeah. Just because I feel there's there's like a yeah well yeah and there's like this bias towards people who are more educated which is also uh, around in our, in our culture and I find that frustrating. <laughs> so the um, the could could you stake the ick again? Is it is it in in the the bias culturally? Um, I want to make sure I'm hearing you right. Um, I like the, the, um, uh, I feel like as a culture, we, um, uh, put an emphasis on people who are, who are considered more high born mm. and come from a better background mm-hmm. and ha- are better educated. And, um, so that's the, that's yeah. the ick. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was icked out as well by that when I, they said that because it's, like, yeah. it's like, uh, it's like basically like alluding to a caste system and the benefit of it in that sense. And I was like, <clears throat> I found it interesting that not only did people, Jewish people, who went to the synagogue, like, listen to Paul. Like, in the Thessalonica, it was like three weeks. You know, there's, you know, weekend after weekend. And they're like, this guy's back again. <laughs> um, and so it's just interesting that the kind of Jews that actually go to the synagogue... Listen to Paul, who's talking a lot about this Jesus guy. And like a lot of the the educated Jewish people are like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a dummy dumb. You know, like, we don't like this Jesus guy. He's, he's messing things up. Hmm. But people are like, yeah, interesting, Paul. I like what you're saying. Um, and so that just feels really peculiar to me that clearly people are open to some new ideas. That is very intriguing to me because I feel like the opposite. <laughs> I'm like, stupid, you don't know what you're saying. Mm. Um, you know, when they're, I'm skeptical if people come in with, with new ideas, I'm like, I don't know what I think about that. Mm. Um, and so, like, the, I feel like in the text, they're resisting um, rigidity, right? And the things that they've always been taught. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe it's calling us to resist some rigidity, um, to be more flexible, more open. Mm. Um and then I also wondered about the uh, healing and liberation. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know that the texts we're reading are highlighting women on purpose. But it also then makes me think of these women. Like, apparently there's a lot of them who really dig what Paul's saying. And I just wonder how liberating it might feel... Um, cause you know, I don't know what Paul's saying in this moment, like totally and, and how much of this Jesus guy they're learning about and understanding, but I see Jesus as a liberating force. Um, you know, and noticing all the women that are like, yeah, I'm with that guy. Mm -hmm. Like. I wonder how liberating it was for um, women and their mm -hmm. livelihood and the possibilities of in their world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting in both places. It says uh, th this phrase, "not a few women," <laughs> like 
can't you just say a lot or yeah. <laughs> or just Wasn't not a few. a few? It was not a few. Both both times it was not a few. So like, what does not a few mean? So, but I just mm-hmm. it, you know that repetition I find interesting. But I really liked what you said, Jen, about like what is it about this message that that would attract women uh, so much? That, I mean, enough of them that, that it is made mention of in both places. Um, yeah. So yeah. So then we've got these hoity-toity people, right, in the next town, like a high brow, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever, and they're in. And I was like, wait, what? You guys are in? Mm-hmm. Like, like I can understand the women. Like, that feels like real good news for them. <laughs> but, like, it doesn't feel like good news for you guys. Right? That's, that's very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm struck by just uh, uh, the inclusiveness on all the fronts in this story. Uh, that it's, it is inclusive of the Jewish tradition, you know, Jesus is Jewish. That's the first place that Paul goes. That's the place where he makes his case, and that's their custom. Um, when they go to Philippi, they do the same. When they go to Thessalonica, when they go to Corinth, they're like, where's the synagogue? Is there a synagogue? Um, they look for something connected to their Jewish background first. Um, but also that, like, I mean, it is... it. Paul's um, ministry is really scandalous because it it's not just Jewish. Like, it is boundary-breaking that this is open to Greeks and that Greeks can, um, can sign on as well. So it's inclusive. Yeah, they, well, and they could, uh, they could overhear. I think part of the draw for, so there were such things, and you see it in the, the Acts story, like referring to Greeks as God-fearers um, or devout. Uh, so these would be Greeks who already had some affinity to Judaism and to the, to the God of the Jewish folks. Um, but they, were, um, they weren't allowed to be full-fledged members and participants they were second tier uh because they weren't they weren't jewish they weren't ethnically jewish and so that you can only um you can only belong so much um even in jerusalem uh the temple is built there is a court of the gentiles where you can only get in so far if you're a god-fearer and i think part of what may be drawing these devout greek folks is Paul's message is things are changing with Jesus and you can belong at the deepest level in a way that you couldn't previously. And so they're like, we want that. That sounds great. And maybe it's the same for, you know, women. Paul's saying things like there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, all are one in Christ Jesus. And everybody's like, oh, this is lev- this levels the playing field. I can... I can be a part at the deepest level. I can be a full-fledged participant. Mm-hmm. So I'm struck. I'm struck too by uh, I was the panel I was on. Um, 
at this conference last week, one of the facilitators said something like he was making a case for uh, ministry in marginalized communities. And um, he said something like, you know, Jesus' ministry was not to the rich and the mighty. It was to the poor. That's who Jesus cares about. His message isn't good news to the wealthy. Um, and and so we need to go to marginalized communities. And that something didn't sit exactly right with, I mean, I, I agree with that on some level. I think that's true, that 99% of Jesus' audience and context was the peasant class, and his message was good news to the poor. He says that explicitly. And he says, it's really difficult if you're rich. You know, you have to, like, go through the eye of a needle, you know, if you're wealthy, or uh, you need to give away all your stuff and part with your worship of mammon or whatnot. But the fact that there's high-born, wealthy folks that are joining in this text, just, for, I mean, it's again, it's uh, it's radical. Like, this is truly good news for all. Like, everybody... Uh, if you're if you if you're willing to respond, you're not disqualified. If you are highborn, or wealthy, um, or affluent, or you know in the upper levels of the caste, it's it's not exclusive. Even though it is centered on those who are at the margins, which is that's challenging and radical to me. And also, this story, this text that we read, leaves out this huge conflict. <laughs> Two conflicts, like um, they're, they're, it leaves out that they're driven out of Thessalonica because there's a whole faction of Jewish leaders who are threatened by their message and who are jealous. Yeah, that's what that they're was jealous. jealous. It says specifically says they are jealous, <laughs> and so they stir it up and say, "Oh, they're preaching some other message about this guy Jesus being the king, and that's a threat to the emperor Rome. Y'all gonna do anything about this?" And they. They force them out. And then when they hear they're in Berea, that same group of folks go over to Berea and get them in trouble over there. So it's like e- everywhere there's receptive. Hot stir. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like you're saying, you know, like here's Paul and his team and they're preaching something subversive and it challenges the religious status quo. It's inclusive in ways the current system is not. They're turning the world upside down is what they say. Uh, so, like, yeah, that's a major... It's a major conflict that we we miss, and I suspect, this is just me geeking out a little bit, the, the writer of this women's lectionary has very high sensitivity to anti-Semitism uh, and, you know, the scorn of the Jewish people. And so it's probably crafting a reading in a way that that is uh, that that softens some of these texts are used as like racist and ethnic tropes to say that the Jews are terrible, right? Yep. Um, so I wonder if that's uh, at least part of what's at play in um, conflating the text and omitting those sections in this way. The yeah, verse five. It's just it's just funny to me. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplace, <laughs> the ruffians. <laughs> they formed a word you. They formed a mob and set the city in uproar. 
They got some ruffians on their side. I have three ruffians in my house. <laughs> mobs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you can stir up a mob wherever. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and I also, um, it also stands out to me the the response of the um, Jews in Berea um, of welcoming the message and examining the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that space, same space of, uh, of welcome, they're also investigating like they're, and they're, they're allowing this, like, like, you know, we can welcome and hear you and continue to do our, our research as we work towards, uh, understanding, um, as opposed to, uh, shutting it down. Um, but kind of that, 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 um, uh, the creation of, of welcome, uh, even in when, uh, somebody's presenting something that, that is contrary to what you've heard your whole life. Mm. Mm. It's cool that they're like, well, let's check it out. Let's look. So are they all huddled around the scroll? <laughs> oh, there's only one. <laughs> do they have what? Oh, there's like a scroll for each one. I was like, do they have like the unrolled and they're scrolls. just hanging out on the ground? They're like, well, right here, look at this. Scroll for Isaiah Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, you know, to empathize with the ruffians and the. Pot stirrers. I, I suppose there's probably some concern, especially with the nature of Paul's message, that and I'm thinking about like parallels today in conservative Christianity with the secularization of the church and like the the culture like morphing and changing um, the church into something. There's the same kind of concerns for more progressive Christianity that Christian nationalism, you know that. American civil religion is like morphing and changing the church from something it should be. And so like here's Paul preaching that that Greek and Gentile non-Jewish folks can be a part of the people of God and uh, they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to become Jewish. They can they can have faith. Uh, yeah, this is all, and this is post Jerusalem Council. So all of that, all of that major watershed stuff about uh, the same rules do not apply um, to Greek folks as they do to Jewish folks. They don't have to follow Torah in the same way. Like, I wonder if those, like your traditionalists, the 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 Jewish folks at the center. I mean, again, that's just radical. They're like, uh oh. The culture is bleeding it. I don't know about this Jesus, Jesus guy, but the culture is bleeding in on this, and this is, this is going to be unrecognizable. And I mean, the Jewish folks are already this minority sect, and now they're being Hellenized. You know, like, oh, the Greeks are going to take this over too, and this is the last of what we have of our culture and our people. Um, it was, it, it was turning the world upside down for them. And this last week, I was actually, you know, I work for a Jewish family. Um, And I was thinking how, you know, 
God is for the margins and the outcasts. And, you know, I haven't, I'm not super into history. Um, but like, are the, like it feels like from what like the grandma that I nanny for, um, she's from Israel. And it just feels like they are outcasts and they get tossed around and fought over and destroyed. Mm-hmm. I have no clue why I'm crying. <laughs> um, you know, so... So interesting sometimes I feel like you know like all oh, the Jewish people are so angry and they're ruining everything about Jesus and um you know but what if they're what if they're God's people because mm-hmm. he's like like you poor, poor people. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna be my babies. Mm-hmm. And so it's so interesting, like to think about the Jewish people as the saved and injured people that they mm-hmm. are. You know, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting to think of, thanks, um, to think of, like, them holding on desperately to everything that they can so that they won't be lost, right? They're, you know, all the different rules and regulations and you know, family Shabbat dinners on Friday night. Hmm. You know, because those traditions are, you know, what help us scattered people mm-hmm. feel like we still exist. Yep. That's exactly right. So it's just a, it's a weird thing <laughs> to think about how Jesus like uh, challenges mm. and feels like it's ruining one more thing mm. mm-hmm. that's like messing things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does open up some space for the, for compassion for the Jewish folks in these stories. And I imagine that any Jewish Christian reading or hearing these stories closer to all of that, uh, wrestles with that very dynamic um, is torn by that dynamic in these stories that the the Jewish folks are are marginalized and have been historically and consistently and man I, I mean that is not an often looked at angle usually uh, 
Christian folks use the Jewish people kind of as a straw man to say, oh, they were, you know, like with the disciples in the Gospels. They were, oh, they didn't get it. They were so dumb and they missed the point. And why did they resist so hard? They're, they're so, uh, um, resistant. Uh, but there's more, there's more going on. It makes me think too of like to look at this with a trauma lens that, that Israel is a traumatized people. Right? And the way that cycles of violence work is traumatized folks uh, demonize and objectify others the way that they themselves have been demonized and objectified. And so, and cycles of violence persist. And that's, that's exactly what's happening in this story. Yeah, it, it's fascinating to me that like what is good news to me as a Gentile and part of the Goyim that I get to be included could be terrifying to the Jewish people because it represents another loss of their identity uh, that I could that I that we could be grafted in as non-Jewish folks uh, that could feel like further insult and injury to Jewish folks who have just been marginalized and shredded and <laughs> I need to blow my nose as well. Let me take your tissue. Uh, yeah, I, I hear all of that and you know we're doing um, uh, Exodus we're studying Exodus with Come Forward. We're doing our Exodus cur- curriculum um, for our trip to Kenya this summer, and um, and uh, but the the thing that comes out of Exodus is Jesus is creating these people. The reason that he's I mean God is God is creating these people, but the reason he's doing this for the sake of the world, mm-hmm. and uh, he's yeah. not doing it. Uh, he's not God is not doing it. Uh, just so that there's a people that follow God. Right. God is doing it because God wants to set forth something that mm. will bring about bringing in the whole people. Mm. And I, and I, so, I mean, the parallel, but I, th- I think the parallel to, to church, you know, Christian, uh, church in America is, is mm. incredibly valid of, uh, so often church is like, no, we don't, we can't bring in new people. We have to take care of ourselves. Mm. And, uh, and that's that's not that's not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to, uh, for the sake of the world, and um, uh, yeah, just God being more more expansive and more loving uh, than we would like for God to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'd right. like to God for God to be not quite as accepting. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I love that perspective, and that's absolutely right. That. That, I mean, deep in the religious memory of the Jewish people is Genesis 12 and the calling of Abram and, and the father of the nation of Israel. His covenant with God is that he would be blessed to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And deep in the prophetic texts, you know, Isaiah, Israel, you are set out to be a light to the nations like you don't exist just for yourself you are a witness uh 
to the connection that God wants to have with all of creation, all of the nations, and what is uh, what's interesting to me in like texts like these is that God invites folks outside of Israel to belong in ways that Israel would never have imagined, uh, like as themselves, as their as their cultural selves, and like how is that instructive for the church today, and how. Uh, like, cause the Jewish folks expected, yeah, we're gonna bless the nations because, um, I mean, if you want, this is the way to come to God. If, you know, you need to come into covenant, you need to follow Torah, you need to be circumcised, right? Um, and the message of Jesus is, no, there's a way to belong in your own culture that is through, uh, relationship with God and Jesus. Um, in faith and trust and allegiance. And you can continue to like be your Greek self or, you know, your Turkish self or whatever. Uh, that's an, I mean, that's interesting to me. Like, and even what does that mean? Like as the church in our like evangelistic and missional strategies, um, what, what is, how's the, uh, what's the analogy to our current setting and like, uh, should we be inclusive and open and expectant in the same ways that that folks uh, might respond and belong to God in ways that would be radically different than we'd ever imagine that that might not include church buildings or uh, or even the same religious customs that we would observe. We. Um... I uh, got to, to see an old friend, my Shelly and David and I got to see an old friend this week. And, um, and he was asking, <laughs> um, uh, he live he and his family live out of, out of state and, and, um, and so they were telling them a little about him, a little bit about their let's talk race class and ministry. And he was like, so kind of explain this, this like race thing and kind of, you know, how do we, do this? What does this look like from a biblical perspective? And, and one of the the points they make in that class, they made there at, at, uh, at coffee, but then they make in that class. And one of the ones that I love so much is, you know, the vision that we have in revelation. Um, well, not just in revelation, but the vision we have in the new Testament is, um, every tribe, every tongue, every, um, every nation, uh, praising God. And the fact, the ways for you to know that every tribe and every tongue and every nation is there is because all those people are still, they are still there that they, they still, you can look at them and see. See the difference. See the difference. <laughs> exactly. And so that's, you know, they don't all just become, uh. Hear the difference. Languages. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And they don't all just become, you know, like yeah. white, white, yeah. yeah, exactly. White, uh, white glowing angels. Right. Yep. Like, no, it, you can tell that it's every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Tribes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like, like that, like the beauty in that, the beauty in that call to diversity, um, is, uh, is, uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And it's, it is kind of, you know, what we're, um, aiming for. And, uh, and it's, it's the call, it's the call in this space for, uh, having conversations about 
yeah, the differences that we have and bringing those to God and still being able to be different and still be part of praising God together. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Well, let's do this last question. We do. It's been a lovely conversation. We've got three more hours. We're good. Uh, the last move is to be still. And the question is, what is the text calling you to pay attention to in yourself to more fully support this resistance and vision? Can we have a volunteer for the final reading? Thank you, Gary. Next slide, please. Anyone who's run PowerPoint ever knows exactly what that's like. (laughs) Solidarity, my dude. Okay. Paul and Silas had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went and on three Sabbaths presented to them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead. This is the Messiah, Jesus, who I proclaim to you all. Now some of those Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the prominent women. Then the sisters and brothers immediately that night sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These persons were more high-born and open-minded than in Thessalonica. They received the word with great eagerness. Daily they examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. Thus, many of them therefore believed, including highly respected Greek women and not just a few Jewish men. What is the text calling you to pay attention to in yourself to more fully support this resistance and vision? Let me give us a minute. What is the text calling you to pay attention to 
in yourself to more fully support this resistance and vision. Start, Ryan. How about now? Okay, there we go. Um, so the joke that came to me was that clearly it's telling me I should go to church every Sunday <laughs> um, since that's what we see Paul doing. Um, well, Saturday. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I guess the uh, I guess the encouragement that I kind of see in it is that um, kind of our discussion has reminded me that we're a lot more adaptable than we sometimes remember that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can kind of see that in our conversation in the text. Um, and I think then the challenge that I kind of see is that like, sometimes I like, maybe I have to adapt when I don't want to. Maybe we sometimes have mm-hmm. to adapt when we don't want to, um, or it's easy to be resistant to that, mm-hmm. I guess. So, yeah. Thank you, Ryan. The other term that it used for those people in Berea was open-minded. And I was, uh, like, as a, as a different translation for receptive. When I hear receptive, I, I hear very, like, missional talk. And, I mean, like, very, like, you know, you go and you talk to people and they're receptive. But, like, open-minded. Thinking, I'm, like, so I was listening, thinking, you know, what, what would Paul want us to take away from, <laughs> from this reading? And I, and I think he'd probably be like, be more like these people. They were open-minded. <laughs> and, um, and this, uh, this space of, uh, welcoming and investigating at the same time. Like the fact that you're investigating doesn't mean that you can't be welcoming, um, is, uh, a good reminder, I think, of who, what it is that God is calling us to be in the world, calling me to be in the world. Uh, I would like to confess that I, like I am all in with, I know this is going to be surprising, I am all in with folks at the margins. Like I'm, I'm all in. Like I, I think that's where I find God um, and that's where I see God with queer folks, with women who've been excluded, uh, with uh, with folks in poverty and who are socially displaced, or the refugee and immigrant communities, um, folks who are at the margins of the power structures and the power groups for whatever reason. Um, I confess that not a small amount of the time I hold in contempt people at the center. I hold in contempt (laughs) affluent folks and conservative Republican folks. Nobody's listening to this, so it doesn't matter. Um, uh, Conservative Christians or Christians kind of at the center of on the other side of things or who would chafe at my alignment with folks at the margins. I hold them in contempt and I judge them and I um, I am challenged by this text to the extent that it includes pe- includes people that it includes the wealthy it includes 
um, folks who would have been radical to include in its time, like my, I want my table to be big enough to welcome even the folks in the center who I hold in contempt. And it's not a healthy posture for me. That posture of contempt is not a healthy one for me. Um, it, I don't think it means that I, I, cert- I expect there to be resistance. I think Paul and Silas experienced resistance from um, kind of the power centers that they were in. But I'm just challenged. I'm challenged to be more inclusive. Uh, <laughs> even with folks who are not inclusive. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so often these days as we look at our kind of political climate and we have these people who are speaking, you know, the, what we often hear are the people who are on the extremes and, uh, but they're not having conversations that can actually get anything done and kind of that call to like we have to find space uh for us to come together and uh and it was i was uh at lunch yesterday with julia mullen and we were talking a little bit about this and like like it's so easy and it's so complicated at the same time <laughs> mm. like you're like no it's just god like love god and love people but it's also when you bring people together who who aren't in the same space, like how do you do that? And mm. and so you know that that balance is easy and hard. Yes. Yep. Well, may we see uh, the image of God in all our neighbors, and we see the belovedness in those who we might hold in contempt or struggle to include. Um, may we change and adapt even when it's unexpected or unwanted um, but needed may our table be as big as God's amen